You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, take your seats. I said take your seats. Class, sit. I swear you're all acting like a bunch of animals. Pet Life Radio presents Teacher's Pet, where you'll learn how to understand and communicate with your pet and train them to be the best pet they can be. It's time to see the world from your pet's point of view. So give a tail-wagging welcome to your Teacher's Pet host on PetLifeRadio.com. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Hi, welcome to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, Director of Training and Behavior at St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center in Madison, New Jersey, and your host. I'd like to welcome our very special guest this week, Dr. Emily Levine. Dr. Levine has had a lifelong interest in animal behavior and welfare. After completing veterinary school, she began residency in animal behavior at Cornell's College of Veterinary Medicine. After successfully completing her residency, she accepted a position in England at the University of Lincoln's Animal Behavior, Cognition, and Welfare Department, where she ran the behavior clinic, taught students, and did research on clinical behavior problems. Dr. Levine now works, fortunately for us, in Fairfield, New Jersey, at the Animal Emergency and Referral Associates, and is one of the only 46 board-certified veterinary behaviorists in the United States. I'm happy to say that I've worked very closely with Dr. Levine on many cases, and uh, she is an extremely knowledgeable woman in the field of behavior and has taught me so much about the benefits and risks of medication when working with behavioral cases. And as a result, I really wanted to share her knowledge with her audience because it seems to be a very hot topic today. You hear so many times people talking about my dog on puppy Prozac, and just like I think humans are very quick to be on meds. It seems that's what people want to, a quick fix and a quick pill for their dog as well. I think even recently I, I saw something. They now have uh, pills for pets to help them lose weight. I thought, oh my gosh, this is really getting bad. But before we meet with Dr. Levine, let's take a real short break so we can hear from our sponsors. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail, right after recess. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No. To my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. New York, the glitz, the glamour, the exciting Muttropolis, the sparkling kitty city that never sleeps. Join us each week for Pets in the City. 
with your host, Diane West. Celebrity pet sightings, hot events, and news and reviews with the hottest movers, shakers, and tail waggers in New York. So take a bite out of the Big Apple with Pets in the City every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back. This is Pia Silvani, host of Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to welcome today's guest, Dr. Emily Levine from Animal Emergency and Referral in Fairfield, New Jersey, who will be talking to us about the use of psychoactive medication in pets with behavior problems. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this topic because we don't hear enough about it. What I'd like to do first is just ask you a a few questions. As you know, there are many contributing factors that cause behavioral problems in our pets. And briefly, can you go over some of the factors so uh, it can benefit our audience? Sure, no problem. Um, well, as you said, there there are lots of different factors, and probably some of the more more common things would be, um, you know, how an animal was was raised, how they were, were reared during their early socialization period, and um, the genetics of the animal, and also how people and their dogs or pets communicate with one another. There's a lot of miscommunication because there's a lot of misunderstanding with how um, dogs communicate or cats communicate or parrots communicate, and that can lead to a lot of friction and a lot of behavior problems. Um, In addition, of course, the health of the animal, there are various medical problems that may be contributing to uh, some behavior problems as well. So those are are a few of the causes um, or contributing factors as well as the environment in which the animal is living play a role as well. So it's really not black or white as many people think. Oh no, it's very complicated. It's a very humbling field. It's a very humbling field. Definitely. And you've stated that in addition um, to what you already went over, genetics and underlying neurochemistry are also factors which can lead to behavioral problems. Can you expand upon that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think the old way of thinking was that if an animal was misbehaving, you know, they were bad and they just needed to be trained to be good. And as we're learning more and more about some of the more serious problems, aggressions, anxieties, etc., cetera, uh, we're really starting to learn about a lot of the neurochemical changes that can occur. And I think what most people don't realize is a lot of the neuroanatomy that people have, dogs and cats and parrots have as well. So, for example, there was a study done on uh, one breed of dog that showed a certain kind of aggression and they actually took those dogs and compared them to the same breed that did not have aggression issues. And what they did was they measured serotonin levels, which is sort of a a happy neurotransmitter, if you will, um, in the aggressive dogs and in the non-aggressive dogs. And what they found was that the aggressive dogs had much lower levels of serotonin in their cerebral spinal fluid than did the non-aggressive dogs. And when they traced back the um, population of these dogs, they found that the aggressive ones all came from like the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. I forget how far back. But the point being that, um, you know, 
as the genetics can certainly influence our chemistry, which can influence our behavior. And so there are some dogs out there um, or other animals that have these imbalances are contributing to the behavior problem. They're not just being bad and need to be trained. That's a great, great point because I, I think the average pet owner is not even thinking about that at all. Don't you agree? Absolutely. It's, you know, people, I mean, and it's not common knowledge that's out there. You know, it's uh, unfortunately with a lot of the stuff that may be on TV or some sort of common thoughts in certain circles, it's just a matter of the dog needs to be taught to submit, and it's just not so. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, when a client comes to you and asks for drugs to help his or her pet um, with, with a particular behavior, um, first of all, how do you handle this? And obviously, you, you need a diagnosis. A diagnosis needs to be made which I think is lacking many times. Um, right. I hear that animals are put on medication uh, with no diagnosis or sometimes not even with, with, with a consultation. So what follows after you've made the diagnosis? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, if a client comes to me, I mean, lots of people come to me with the hopes of getting that magic pill. Um, and when, when I make a diagnosis, one of the first things that I'm always trying to get a handle of is, is this dog's behavior normal? Not meaning that it's acceptable, but is it normal or is it abnormal? And if it's abnormal, then that's when I start considering medication. If this dog's behavior is totally normal, then and medication isn't likely to help, then I'm not going to prescribe medication. And we have we obviously talk in depth about what we can do to correct the behavior and why I'm not going to medicate. If the dog's behavior seems out of context and out of normal, or, or any pet that I'm working with, that's when I then talk with owners about, you know, well, we can use medication and then I have to select which medication is most appropriate for that species, for that individual, given their medical history, their behavioral history, uh, their signalment, and um, and then we have a long discussion about, you know, side effects, adverse effects, realistic expectations, and that there is no magic pill. Of course, we have to do other things in conjunction with the medication. So just for the sake of our audience, when you say normal versus abnormal, can you just give an example for them so they understand that a little better? Sure. So, for instance, let's say um, a dog um, acts, you know, is, is a little bit, um, you know, growls a little bit if you go to take a bone, and that's all that the dog does. Well, there are other ways to deal with that. I don't consider that an abnormal behavior um, right. is as opposed to, let's say, uh, and again, not saying it's acceptable and we can deal with it, but it's not something that Prozac I would help with or prescribe a dog for. Now let's say you're in a situation where the dog is in a constant high state of arousal or all that I did was talk to the dog and he's showing me aggression. I mean, that's sort of out of context and out of proportion, you know, depending, of course, on the history. So those are just some examples or really severe separation anxiety, um, you know, that I do not consider within the normal healthy realms of an animal. Or if a cat is living in an environment where the environment can't be changed and the cat is very stressed and is spraying, although, you know, that's the animal's way of coping with that stressed out environment. Obviously, it's a situation where people aren't going to accept a marking kitty. And so in those situations, we'll, we'll use medications as well if, if, if things in the environment cannot be altered. Do you feel that you prescribe medication to more dogs than cats, more cats than dogs, or is is it pretty balanced? 
That's a good question. Um, you know, it depends on the problem that I'm seeing them for. I see a lot of house soiling kitties that I, I can resolve the problem without using medication. It depends on, on where they're house soiling and how they're house soiling. Um, for dogs, by the time that I end up seeing a lot of my patients, because unfortunately, um, which is something I'd, I'd like to see change, I'm sort of seen as a last result. You know, you're my sort of last chance of, of keeping my dog. And so by the time I end up seeing patients, I do end up prescribing a fair amount of dogs um, with medication, and I do see more dogs than cats. So I think it's unfair for me to say I use more medication in dogs because I see more dogs. Mm, good point. What are some of the commonly used drugs that you typically will prescribe? Most commonly used drugs um, would be, there. there's a class of drugs called the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs, and the drugs that fall into that category are, that would be familiar to people, are Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft, those types of medications. There's another group called tricyclic antidepressants, and medications that fall in that category, people may be familiar with Clomacalm, or amitriptyline, or imipramine, those are drugs in that category. And then we use benzodiazepines a bit for a lot of fears and anxieties, Valium-like medications. And th- these are human drugs, correct? Yeah, they're, you know, they say puppy Prozac, you know, and, and maybe they think it's like a lesser form of the medication. <laughs> and although there, there, is, there is a trade name, there's something called Reconcile out there. So Reconcile is Prozac, but it is labeled for the use of dogs. Clomacom is labeled for the use in dogs, you know, for certain problems with behavior modifications. Although they're labeled for the use of dogs, it is still Prozac proper in the sense that it's the same stuff that people get chemically. Good point. Good point. Yeah, that, that, that's excellent because I do think that many people think there is that magic doggy pill or cat pill um, and they don't realize that there probably are only two, correct, that have been studied for dogs. Is that true? Reconcile and Clomacom? Okay. Yeah, and they've only been, they're only labeled for the use in dogs with conjunction of behavior mods for separation anxiety. Okay. They're not labeled for the use for aggression or for anything outside of separation anxiety. Although yeah. I use them a lot, these medications, for those other reasons, but it's not labeled for that. Great. Are there any limitations, drawbacks, obvious side effects to using the drugs for therapeutic reasons? Yeah, every every medication out there, regardless of what, what it's for, has potential for side effects and adverse effects, and clients um, need to be educated on that so they can make a well-informed decision. Um, if you have a healthy animal, you know, um, although there's a long list of potential side effects that are relatively rare or not common, some of the more common ones with the Prozacs and Clomacoms and all of those would be a change in, like, GI side effects. Some dogs may have looser stools, some firmer stools. Their appetite may increase or decrease. And they may be a little sleepy as they're first getting used to the medication. Saying that, it's important that people realize, because this is a big concern a lot of my clients have, is is my dog going to be a zombie on medication? And the answer is absolutely not. If your dog is a zombie uh, or not, then it's the wrong medication or the wrong dose. We want every dog to stay the lovely dog that they are. And what people love about them, we want that to remain. We just want to reduce the anxiety or reduce the aggression. Um, So those are some of the more common side effects. 
that a healthy dog may experience. The medication is, these medications are metabolized by the liver and kidney, and so we want to, of course, make sure, you know, blood work is done to make sure everything's okay prior to starting the animal on medication. And if, if the animal has health problems, certain health problems, then we may have to select different types of medications, or we may not be able to use medications because it's too risky. Good point. So it's really important that they really get a full workup before they're put on medication. Yeah, I mean, every animal that I see, I'm I'm also reviewing the medical history from their regular veterinarian because I need to know the medical health of this of this pet. It's just um, not safe for me not to have a good understanding of this animal's medical health and fit and current physical health um, before prescribing medication. Yeah, important, important. Do you ever combine drugs? For example, I know sometimes with humans, um, especially if they have high anxiety or depression, sometimes drugs can be combined to help them out. Is, does the same hold true for animals? Definitely. Um, there are lots of patients that can benefit from, you know, polypharmacy, you know, two medications, and I do this a lot with various anxieties and fears. Um, when it comes to aggression, we can certainly do that. Um, in, in one of the important things I think people should understand and what I always counsel my clients on is that, you know, if we do start medication, don't expect to see quick results. These medications can take, you know, let's say on average four weeks before you would see a therapeutic result. And then we have to play with the dosage. So... And just like in people, let's say the first medication we pick doesn't work, it doesn't mean another one wouldn't work better. And if we have a dog that is a partial responder to one medication, that's when we sort of think about adding on a second medication. So people sort of need to see sort of the, that there's a timeline here, and it can get pretty lengthy. It's not, I'm going to try this pill. If it doesn't work next week, then nothing will work. So people need to be prepared for that. Yeah, that's that's our need to have that quick fix, I guess. Yes, definitely, which would be very nice. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, we're just going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back, so please stay tuned. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail right after recess. <laughs> Having a rough day? Longing for the dog days of summer? Think your fun furry friend lives a dog's life? Well, find out everything you're begging to know as Pet Life Radio presents It's a Doggy Dog World with pet expert and award-winning author Liz Palaika. Every dog has his day, and you'll find out how to make your dog's day fun and rewarding every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, uh, your host, and joining us is Dr. Emily Levine, a board-certified veterinary behaviorist from Fairfield, New Jersey, talking to us about drug therapy for pets. 
Emily, I just want to, the next question I really wanted to bring up was, is there a time when drugs can be effective for behavior problems without a behavioral modification program? The majority of the time, a behavior modification program is needed. Um, It is rarely recommended to just give a pill without addressing all of the factors that are contributing to that behavior problem. Saying that, I think there may be a few exceptions, and one exception may be there are dogs, you know, different dogs have different fears of thunder, and there are many flavors of thunderstorm fears. And there's one flavor um, where... If I see that in the history, I know that that's probably going to be a case where if I find the right anxiolytic to give just when the storm's hitting, the dog is coping much better and the people are, are very happy with very minimal effort on their part. But by far and large, the majority of behavior problems, including um, some of the thunderstorm phobias, will require more work than just giving a pill. So it is important if there are are trainers out there who are working with dogs and they know the dog is on medication, they should really work very closely with the veterinarian, correct? There's no question about that. They should absolutely work closely with the veterinarian and it's really the veterinarian's job to pick which medication and, and to monitor that medication and its efficacy and side effects and adverse effects. Great, great. What are the most common problems that you see in dogs uh, where you find that medication therapy uh, has been helpful? Certainly a lot of uh, separation anxiety or separation panic. I certainly see separation panic a lot. A lot of redirected aggression from dogs or impulse aggression where medication has been helpful. Um, Over arousal issues. Um, I see a handful of compulsive disorders where medications can be very helpful. Uh, so I would say, I would, in, in some inner dog aggression, if one of the dogs, it's not uncommon for the cases that I see with inner dog aggression within a household, one of the dogs, the dog who is, quote, the problem dog is actually the one who's getting hurt the most, is the victim mm-hmm. the most. And that dog is just a nervous wreck. And so it's sort of a, a, the dog fights are a symptom of the anxiety. And so for that, when we use medication, if we can decrease that dog's anxiety along with doing, of course, other things, then we can see the inner dog aggression get much better. Oh, that's a great point. Also, you you just said something which I thought was interesting that I think the audience can benefit from. Uh, You said separation anxiety and separation panic. Talk about the difference in those. Yeah, there are dogs out there who, um, you know, when they leave and the dogs may pace and they may vocalize, they may urinate a little bit and, and they're sort of generally just anxious and that needs to be dealt with. It, they, they should not be feeling anxious. There are lots of dogs that I see where they will literally escape out of crates. They are so panicked that they will physically injure and harm themselves, breaking teeth, breaking claws, um, cutting their foot pads, trying desperately to escape a crate or desperately trying to escape the house, going out windows um, and causing a lot of physical harm to themselves. Or if I see video, when, when people videotape their animals, if that dog is just 
it's an excessive like amount of panting and pacing and their heart appears to be racing, you know, then that is that animal is, is really suffering. So I always mm. sort of make a distinction between, you know, this dog is anxious and isn't comfortable being left alone, but he isn't at that heightened state of, you know, he's going to induce physical harm or his heart rate is going a million miles per minute, that type of thing. Yeah, it's it's really it's terrible to watch. You really feel for these animals. Because uh, they they definitely they're it almost appears like they're having panic attacks. Absolutely. How about cats? What have you used drugs in with cats? What are the most common problems? The most common problems, I would say, number one is 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 marking. Uh, cats are are urinating around the house, and when I say marking, I mean they're going on vertical surfaces. There are some cats that will mark on horizontal surfaces, but by and large, if we're talking sort of generalities, if they're going on your walls or on backs of your furniture, again, if there isn't an obvious environmental thing that we can change, we use medication for that quite a bit, in part because people people will put up with biting dogs longer than they'll put up with a cat that's urinating. Um, so yes. it's almost like if you don't resolve this next week, the cat's gone. <laughs> so we do, use, we do use medication for that um, with, with pretty good success, uh, quite honestly, and so that's good. The other thing that I end up using medication for a lot of times is inner cat aggression within a household, and it's, it can be quite similar to the inner dog aggression where I said one, one dog, so in this case one cat might just be such a nervous Nelly um, or the aggressor is aggressing abnormally and unless we can tone that arousal and aggression down before we can implement behavior mods, it can be a lifelong battle. And I tend to see the inner cat aggression cases once they've been going on for an extended period of time. If I'm brought in much sooner and the aggression had just started, sometimes in those situations we don't need medication. That's a good point. So really the audience needs to know that if they see any red flags or they have any concerns, don't wait for it to be a problem before they seek don't, help. Absolutely. Don't wait. Intervene as early as possible. And that sort of goes back to why, you know, I wish I wasn't seen as a last resort um, because even if it is a patient or patients that need medications, that's not always a quick fix because the medications take time to build up. It takes time to find the right combination for that patient. So yeah. the earlier that people can get help, the better. It's difficult, too, I think, when, when you are that last resort, sort of. Um, usually people are at their wit's end, and they don't have the patience anymore also. Exactly. You're dealing with a lot. When, you're, when you, you deal with uh, behavior problems, you're dealing with a lot more than just the, the pet. You're dealing with the human-animal bond, the, the family members, their expectations of the pet. Has that bond broken? You're dealing with all sorts of things. Typically, also, um, how, how long do dogs, and that's, this is a question that comes up all the time, how long does my pet need to stay on drugs? Because that, that's a decision breaker for many people, too, because they say, you know, I, I don't want my dog on drugs for the rest of its life. Right. My standard answer to that, what I tell all of my the clients that I work with, is if you're going to go down this road, just go in expecting them to be on it for nine months. If at that time things are going really well consistently for a couple of months, then we can consider weaning off. Um, but I just tell people to go in just expecting that. So it's not a two-week thing, but it's not going to be. A, it may not be a lifelong thing. Certainly for some animals, you know, when we wean them off, the behavior creeps back, and then I look at it like it's their insulin, and they need it. 
Mm, oh, that's a great point. Great point. And that, that's good to give people at least an idea also. I think that that's critical because they do think it's a lifetime or, like you said, one or two weeks. Exactly. Um, so when you give a prescription for, for medication for, their, for the animal, um, is it typically expensive and where do they get it? Can this be an expensive proposition for clients? Um, it can't, you know, it depends on options. You know, like I said, there, there, were, there are those two medications, those trade names, Reconcile and Clomacom. And those, for, um, if those are used for separation anxiety, then they are typically more expensive than generics, just like in people medicine, trade versus generics. Um, so if it's a small dog or a small cat, it doesn't have, it's not going to be exuberant. If you have a Great Dane or a Mastiff on a trade name medication, it can be quite expensive. Mm-hmm. I have to say, by and large, though, um, you know, the generics are very, are, are inexpensive. A, a lot of the veterinary behaviorists have both the trade and the generics. A lot of veterinarians will carry some or limited, and you can also, you know, see what what 1-800-PET-MEDS have, you can get a lot of these medications filled at your local pharmacy, too. So in my experience, you know, these medications, particularly the generics, are not cost prohibitive. People are often surprised at just how inexpensive it is because they're anticipating it to be, you know, hundreds of dollars a month where it's just, just not the case. I was just curious because I don't know the answer to this. I'm not sure if you do either. Um, a lot, so many people have pet insurance. Are medications covered under pet insurance? Do you, do you know? I, you know, that's a good question. I have had clients who have turned in. It depends on the, the insurance, um, which insurance they carry. And I certainly don't know the differences amongst all the different animal insurances. But I, I can say that people have, I have filled out insurance papers for, for the behavior consult and people have gotten reimbursed. Um, oh, but I can't answer that specifically for the medication. I think ultimately it depends on the person's plan. All right. So that it's definitely worth for them to look into, obviously. Oh, definitely. Have insurance. Most good, definitely. Good. Now, I know this for a fact. When you think um, you, you get a case, the client comes in, and you know that drug therapy will truly help the animal, but they don't right. believe in medication themselves. Maybe they, they, you know, if they take an aspirin once a year, that's a lot. Right. Do you ever recommend alternative treatments or refer to holistic veterinarians? What are your feelings on that? Because I know that's a question that comes up. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I always, my role, the way that I look at my role as, as a veterinarian is I'm here to make an assessment, a diagnosis, and a treatment plan. I cannot force anyone to do anything that's certainly out of the realm of my, my jurisdiction and would not not be ethically right to do so. If I really feel that, that a, I know a, a traditional medication would be very helpful, I'm very clear and I'm very upfront about that, and I will advocate that that be something they strongly consider. Saying that, if a person is adamantly against it, and they want to know about other options. I'm very open with them about, well, we can try some herbals, you know, that are out there that I know have been shown in people to be effective. We can try those things, but I'm very frank with them that the studies haven't been done um, and they may or may not be as, as efficacious and I may not be able to guide them as well through the process. But, I, I certainly discuss with them the options because ultimately, I mean, it's, it's, their, it's their pet and they need to make the final decision that they're comfortable with. 
sure, sure. No, that, that, that that's good for them to know because I, I know that's always a question too. I know if I see a client before I refer them to you, you know, they're a little concerned about the medication. But I think once they see the results, I mean, just from working with you uh, very closely on many cases, people do see a difference, um, you know, with, with the combination of the medication as well as the behavior modification. So I think they're happy about that. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because once people, people who are originally opposed to it and they hear sort of when we go through the, well, we could try alternatives, but here's here's what I need to tell you, more often or not, they end up going with the traditionals. And I think what's important for everyone to realize is when animals are on these psychoactive medications, I make it a point to tell people you cannot play with anything herbal because there can be interactions. And if people are firmly, are firm believers in herbals because they consider them to be nothing but safe and do good, if these herbal medications can work, then they're altering chemistry. If they can Mm. alter chemistry and do good, there's the potential to do bad. So I still Mm. tell people, even if you're doing herbals, we're going to have to monitor for side effects. So I have a healthy respect for them. There are more studies have been done on on fluoxetine and behavior problems in dogs and other medications, and that's what I certainly feel more comfortable with. But I think it's important for people to realize that herbals are not innocuous. Mm, that's that's a very good point. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Lastly, there, since there are only forty six board certified veterinary behaviors in the country, um, unfortunately, that's unfortunate for for us. Many times, people will will talk to their veterinarian and they'll recommend a particular type of medication to their clients without a behavioral write up. And are you concerned about this at all? Or where can people go to find a veterinary behaviorist? What, what do they do? Well, if, if they want to find if there's a veterinary behaviorist near them, they should go to, there's a website called um, DACVB.org. And that will list all of the veterinary behaviorists um, and where they're located and their contact information. Um, there's also an organization called AVSAB. American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior, and their ooh, their website, I believe, is absabonline.org, and that just lists veterinarians who have a special interest. So they do a lot of continuing ed and work with a lot of behavior patients in their hospital. And so you can go to their website and find a, a veterinarian that has a special interest in behavior. Um, and there are more of those than there are um, of the veterinary behavior specialists. Two resources I would advocate. And if there is a veterinarian out there, for example, um, they're looking to prescribe medications. Um, some, somebody had mentioned to me to VIN, is it the Vet Info Network? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, some of my colleagues I know, there are veterinary behavior specialists who will answer questions on the VIN network. So veterinarians can post questions on this website and get help via email from a veterinary specialist, behavior specialist. So that's a really good resource. And most, I would say, most of us are, are not intimidating and very friendly. So, of course, any <laughs> veterinarian can, can always pick up the phone and give us a call because when I think of these people who are living in states with no, you know, no veterinarians interested in behavior or comfortable with it. I know mm. I've certainly worked with veterinarians and the clients via telephone, but I have to maintain a patient, you know, an appro- a legal patient-client relationship. So I do a lot, will do a lot, like through the veterinarian. Good. So point. they're the ones prescribing because you, I, you cannot prescribe for an animal you have not seen. Right. Right. Um, Excellent. 
Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. And um, I'd like to thank Dr. Levine for joining us. Don't forget next week, well, we're going to be doing our training session, so come ready. Special thanks to our producers for making the show happen. If you'd like a transcript of the show or any other shows on Pet Life Radio Network, please go to PetLifeRadio.com and click on Teacher's Pet. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me at Pia at PetLifeRadio.com. Emily, I just want to thank you for coming on. Oh, it was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Yes, yes. I think lots of good information. So, this is Pia signing off until next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Schools in Session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com.